Welcome down to my nine-foot homemade oak bar. Pour yourself a cold one. You are listening to Bucks in the Basement. My name's Chris, and Craig here is the biggest Pirates fan you'll ever meet. Let's talk Pirates baseball now. Welcome to Bucks in the Basement. Now I see the changes in this town. They change, they say one thing, but then the next day. up to the nine foot homemade oak bar pour yourself a cold one my name is chris his name is craig uh he's fired up he's wondering whether or not there's people whose heads should roll off of their necks and be off of this team i i i love the suggestion uh the the possibility do you move on from some of those that are uh, coaching staff uh is Derek shelton on the hot seat what are you going to do here when you see a team that gets off to a hot start and kind of forgot how to win. I, I, I Listen, I don't expect them to win a division, but I don't want to see them not win any more games this year. They should be close to 500 when the year ends. This, to me, is kind of a thing that I'm looking at the manager and saying, can you teach this team how to win? Because you got a lot more talent on this team right now than you had last year. Yeah, I mean, there's more talent. But we also talked about when Derek Shelton was hired, that we thought that he was a placeholder manager. And he still might be. Even with the two-year extent, it's not like there's something that says that a manager can't be fired at some point in time. Of course. But but here's the thing. Like, is the, is the problem with Derek Shelton, in your mind, in-game strategy, or is the problem in your mind the ability to motivate and get these guys to perform at their highest level, because there's two different kinds of managers. I mean, there are managers that in game, just do the basics. They're color by numbers, but somehow they keep the the clubhouse loose. They get guys playing to their utmost ability. They don't mess with guys. Like some guys can micromanage a person into a slump and get a guy even more messed up in his head. Some guys are just really good. They're almost like gurus. They get them they get them out of their head, and they're really good at being almost like a counselor to the player. What, where do you think the shortcoming is, is if you blame him for all of these losses? I don't know if you can blame him for all the losses. I mean, that's kind of where I land. I mean, if you look at it, people are putting it out there that, you know, John Russell has about the same, I don't know, record as Derek Shout through the same amount of games. And John Russell was the guy, if if people are younger and need to be reminded, it was before Clint Hurdle, you know, the savior of, of Pittsburgh. So I, I don't know how much you can blame that on talent and how much of it could be 
just his in-game management. Because people will be like, well, you know, Derek Shelton's a great manager because he's able to manage a bullpen when they're doing well. And when they're doing poorly, you're trying to balance, is it the manager or is it just the players on the field? It's a very goofy situation to try to, I don't know, I'd want to see him, what he can do for like the rest of this season because there's people that would want to just get rid of him right now and not know why he was extended, which is something we already talked about. But I wouldn't even want to go into that anymore. It would be that the people in the clubhouse seem seem to like him. Like they they buy him bottles of bourbon. They they <laughs> you know kind of rally around him. Yeah, well, so I great. think he's a good players manager. In-game management, I don't know how much of that is on him. See, I love the bourbon thing. Like, oh, they like him. They buy a bourbon. Well, that's cute. But, I mean, is that, is that what you hang your hat on? Like, like, look at them in the standings right now as we're sitting here, 12 games under 500. Uh, they lost 100 games last year, right? Or right around then? What was the, what was the official? It was amount? exactly 100. La- uh, exactly 100 games. Okay, so they, they lose 100 games last year. And what did I say in – the 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 preseason in in spring training when we were getting ready to start this season I want this team to be a lot closer to 500 but to all of a sudden gain all of those games to win essentially like 20 what would they what would they have to win there they gotta they gotta they gotta win 19 more games that that's what they would have to win right to get to 81 at that point yes. I'm bad with math but I, right. So I mean, like, I'm like <laughs> I was told there'd be no math. I was told, yeah, I was told on a baseball show there'd be no math. But let's say twenty games, twenty game improvement from one year to another year, is difficult. It, you know, this is professional baseball. Every team makes improvements. Everybody makes tweaks. Players get good. Players fall off. Teams have all of a sudden new players that you're running into. There, there's a lot that changes year to year. It's hard to just sit there and say, "Oh, we're going to be twenty games better." Now, I expect ten. I, I right now they're under the mark for me from what I would expect from him. Like I want this team single digits under 500 for me to feel as though you progressed. Otherwise I really don't care about extensions. If, if Ben Charrington says after the season's over, this is our guy. We're going to go out in the, the into the, like the free agency market. We're going to add a couple of pieces because they do have to add a few pieces. We're going to make some trades. Heck before the trade deadline, there's blood in the water. The Pirates could benefit looking long-term. Right now, I'm going to explain that before the show is over. There's things they can do. If the idea is to be ready to walk out of the gate in 2024, a contender for the NL Central, and he says, this is my guy, as long as I give him the tools, I want to give him one more year, okay, fine. If there's any doubt, though, who cares about the extension? These guys aren't making a ridiculous amount of money compared to what it costs to run your baseball team. You can move on. You give extensions to managers because when they're a lame duck manager, nobody's going to listen to them. And so you give them those extra years knowing you might have to pay a year or two off if you decide to change managers. And Major League Baseball is riddled with guys. Riddled with them. Even from Buck Showalter, when he got the Yankees together in the 90s until Joe Torre took over and actually won all the championships. Ricky Renteria, remember that name? 
He was in the NL yeah. Central. He was the guy that was there for the Cubs' rebuild. Then they dumped him for Joe Men. Then on the other side of town, the White Sox picked him up for their supposed rebuild that didn't work out. But when it was time to go and get the guy who was going to lead them to the promised land, they went with Tony La Russa. Terrible decision, but that's what they did. Renteria has made a living being a guy like what Derek Shelton is right now. He had money on his contract in both of those stops. So don't, don't get yourself hung up on the extension. If the move needs to be made, then hopefully they'll make it. That's all I'm looking for. Yeah, and I don't know how much, because uh, if we go to other coaches, like an Andy Haynes, a hitting coach, I don't know how much of it is Andy Plains, Andy Haynes' plan, or how much of it is Derek Shelton's plan, because Derek Shelton was a hitting coach for years. So is this him implementing Derek Shelton's plan? And if Ben Sherrington knows that, and you know that they're not making improvements on the hitting side of things, then do you think, you know, do you just get rid of both of them? So that's where I'm just like, I'm kind of torn in all this. I think Andy Haynes is gone no matter what, if the team doesn't start hitting for the rest of the season. But if they would start to hit, <laughs> then I don't know what you do, but that's like in the future type of stuff. Do you think that the hitting coach is the problem? Like you watching the games, is that what you think? You think it's the hitting coach? Because they're always one of the first ones, right? They're always one of the first ones where like, like well, we got to make a change. Get rid of one of the ancillary coaches. Well, he was the only one fired from uh, Milwaukee's system when we before we got him like he was the only coach that was fired because he supposedly you know ruined uh, uh, Christian Yelich but I mean you look at how good Jack Swinski's done this year and it was his work with Andy Haynes in spring training and you know making adjustments throughout this the season but I don't know like if I could give another example of what he's done well, because Brian Reynolds is in a huge slump. So we can maybe blame him for that. But do we blame that on Brian Reynolds's back injury? And do you blame it on, you know, poor players like Rodolfo Castro being sent to, uh, you look at, you know, Tukapina Marcona before he's injured last night. Was that you know, him not making improvements or was that Tukapita Marcano's like ceiling? So I, I don't see him as the major problem because I mean, I don't want to mess with the old guys, but the offense is a problem though. Right. I mean, that's the thing. So yeah. now what you have to do is you have to decide is the offense a problem because of a lack of talent or young guys coming up that are still figuring it out. And that's why it's a problem. Or is it because of him? And I try to look at like some things just comparing the Pirates as a team to other teams in the majors. We are basically at the bottom. Bottom five in home runs at this point this season. Bottom five. That's, that's, I mean, that's awful. You need to hit the long ball to win in Major League Baseball generally. So that, that's an issue. You, when it comes to strikeouts, you're in the top half, but you're right about in the middle. When it comes to walks, you're high. And that's the one thing that's kind of sticking out to me. That means there's patience at the plate. That means the approach may actually be good. 
when you look at the on-base percentage is low, when you look at the slugging percentage is low, of course, because you're not hitting a lot of home runs. But when I see the amount of walks this team is drawing, they're in the top 10. That, that almost makes me feel as though there's at least a patient uh, like approach to the plate. And I like that in my team. That's the kind of thing that a hitting coach can, can give a team. He can say, philosophically, I want you to take pitches. I want you to force them into long counts. I want you to get deep into the counts and get into the bullpens. That's how I want to attack things. See, if that's a strategy, then I think that strategy eventually pays off if you have the right players there and you have all the talent there. So when I see the high amount of walks, I wonder how much of it is the coach, how much of it is talent. Well, that's like one of the big things that that people talk about is Andy Haynes, you know, letting players take like too many, I guess it would be like called third strikes, but somebody did something on that and said that that's not a thing. That's like something that's across major league, major league baseball. So it's, it's trying to get to see, you know, those first couple pitches. I mean, that's like an approach that everybody takes. And it's, a, and it's an approach, players. and it's an approach that would be exposed a little bit with younger players because younger players don't get the benefit of the doubt from umpires. So if, if that is the approach, you're sticking with the approach because you want long-term results, right? Like, wouldn't that be the thing? Because you're going to get rung up sometimes on those close pitches that a veteran is going to get called in their favor. Don't think that doesn't still happen in Major League Baseball. Don't think that the, if a guy's got a trusted eye and he's been in the league for a couple of years, that umpires don't know that. And the tie may go to him as a batter, but it's not going to a rookie. And there's a lot of rookies on this team. Yeah. I mean, that's something to think about, Chris. I mean, I, I don't know if, I mean, if we're seeing a lot of that. I mean, he's gotten Jackson. I keep on going back to Swinsky. Like, he's gotten him back on the horse so many times, and he's a very streaky hitter. So... I mean, you can't argue with a guy in his second year that has an OPS, you know, over like 830 and leading your team. I mean, so if he's helping Jack Sawinski, you would think that Brian Reynolds, I don't know if he could say, you know, hey, coach, uh, your your approach is crap and I don't want to follow it and I'm just going to do whatever I want to do anyway. But it kind of seems like McCutcheon, Santana, Choi, uh, Connor Joe, they're all doing their own thing. So how much is it just Brian Reynolds just not seeing the ball? Because people will point back to him working with Andy Haynes the whole off season because he was just down here in Pigeon Forge and he's, you know, working with him on stuff. Well, how much of it is just Brian Reynolds just not having a great year? I mean, he's having a good year. But how much of that is injury and how much of it is approach? You know, there's a reason why with Brian Reynolds. Remember, everybody in the world was screaming, give him everything he wants. And I was like, he's a high-level ball player. You definitely want to sign him, but you don't want to break the bank. The Pirates, I think, in the end, I think that contract's going to come out to be pretty good. Remember what people wanted to give him. Because he's going to have up years, down years, up months, and bad months. He's a guy who... Could be a candidate every year to be an all-star, but he's not an every year all-star. And, you know, in the end, if this team is successful, a couple of these other guys on this team 
may end up being the bigger star than Brian Reynolds. Cruz may be a bigger star than Brian Reynolds. Some of these other guys have the potential to pass him. Brian Reynolds is, was a star on a team that was bad. Brian Reynolds is a, an above-average to high-end player, but he's not, you know, he's not one of those guys that you build the entire franchise around. And so he's going to have his ups and he's going to have his downs. That's not to be smirch him. That's not me saying that in any way. I just, you know, when we talk about the problems with him every time, I just think back to that that frenzy of you have to sign him. You have to give him whatever he wants. You got to give him all the years he wants. Remember, Pirates fans were like, just give him everything. Like that, like that, that meme from Futurama. Take my money. Like, please. Like, like <laughs> that's what they were like. Right? I mean, it was, it was silly. Yeah, it was definitely a... Uh... Yeah, a crazy thing, and and I wanted to sign him too. We we buttons, we wanted to sign him. I wanted to sign him too. Gives you, I like the it gives end you an answer deal. at a position. Yeah, I like the ending deal. If you were going to be serious, you had to sign him. But if you really are serious about winning a championship, there's a lot more money that has to be spent. There's deals that need to be made. If you ever see me out and about in Pittsburgh, you will always recognize me. And not just because of the white beard, but also because of the Y that is always on top of my head. The hat I always wear. The Yin's brand. Proud partners with Bucks in the Basement. Three dynasties. One brand. Yin's. Finally, one brand to rep all black and gold. Follow at Shop Yin's for new merch drops and giveaways. Order online at www.shopyins, the emphasis on the two Zs, high quality comfort, lightweight materials, a new modern look for the black and gold, made for Yins by a Yinzer. Let me ask you this question to get off of the, the concerns about whether or not the manager needs to be replaced or we need to fire a hitting coach or, or all that. Let's, let's look at the front office with the trade deadline coming up. And I know everybody's like, David Bednar, he has value. You can get something for him. Fine. I'm good with it. It better be somebody that's coming up and playing in 2024. It should be somebody at a AAA level. It should be somebody who, like a team sits there and says, we need him. He's the key to a long run. And the Pirates are like, and we need this guy because he's competing for a spot next year. That, that's, that's what you want. I don't know if you're going to get that in trade value. It depends on what happens with the market. That's what you want. But the thing that I noticed this week was the rumors surrounding Jonathan India with the division rival Reds who have so much talent in their infield, right? And it got me thinking, when you read this week about the fact that they're basically saying like, hey, you know, we've got a ton of guys coming up and we'd be willing to move one of them or even Jonathan India and they're testing the waters to see what they can get because they're overloaded in the infield with players and they've got guys who have all matured to a level now where they're ready to make their run and they're trying to figure out, okay, we have all these assets. So we have to move on from one. I find it interesting that what they're asking for is long-term pitching. They want controllable pitching. They don't want somebody who's a rental. And this goes back to something I said about a month ago. The pirates have assets. They have multiple second basemen 
between Gonzalez and, and Tamar Johnson. They've got two catchers that they're currently using on the major league team. One of them is playing the outfield. They have certain positions where they have depth and they have other positions where they need something, including in their starting staff. Craig, do you think that Ben Charrington right now should be testing the waters on acquiring pitching that is young and controllable and moving pieces that you may have fallen in love with as a prospect or even a guy that showed something early on in the season, but there's a couple of guys behind him or around him. There are some depth pieces right now if you look at prospects and the hype surrounding them. Is there something they could move, and would you be willing to move some of that right now at the deadline? Because it's not just rentals. If you notice what's going on, the Reds are saying, we're not looking for a rental. We're looking to approve our team for this year and beyond. Well, the Pirates should be looking to be doing that right now as well. So, you know, I'm curious as to whether or not there will be a move like that that has long-term ramifications for the team that is going to get made before the deadline because that also occurs during this time. And I think they should be active in the trade market. Yeah, and with uh, a player like Tucapita Marcano going down, I mean, you're bringing up Alika Williams now. That's People are going to be knowing that by the time this hit hits their ears. And I mean, and you have Piguero up, you have a lot of these players up and it might be, I mean, you want to maybe possibly move one of them because they're already at the major league level and that might be enticing to people. But I mean, a lot of times it's going to be the same type of trades that, you know, Ben Charrington has made in the past, which is, you know, you know, trading for, I wouldn't say a lottery ticket, but trading for, you know, higher end uh, prospects from other teams or at least more, you know, I don't know if it's like the, the proven stuff. So, I mean, you may have to move on from or Tamar Johnson, who's, you know, a first round pick and, you know, is only in, in low A. So, and, and maybe moving up to high A, but he's still only like 19 years old. So, you know, you got to see like, are we going to open up this window you know, now what if he has another setback like he did at the beginning of the season? I mean, you look at all the pitching that we have down in, I mean, beginning in Greensboro, you have Thomas Harrington, you have Bubba Chandler, um, you go down to even like the FCL and, and, and Bradenton, and you have, you know, Shung Shuk Shim that we got from, you know, the international market. There's a lot of players that people you know, maybe looking at Hunter Barco, uh, who we drafted and, and he's, you know, he was a top end talent for Florida before he had to go undergo Tommy John. But if he has a few good, you know, outings, he already had one, he pitched, you know, a couple innings, had like four strikeouts and he, he probably should down in the FCL. But if somebody says, oh, maybe we can, you know, move him up a little bit, you know, pretty quick, we, we you know, whatever it may be, we, we should be trying to we've talked about this before, Chris is maybe be buyers and sellers. Of course. At the trade deadline. You you should be team building. You shouldn't just be sitting yeah. back saying, well, we got Bednar and then we're not doing anything else. You should be, you should be team building. I, you know, the guy I keep looking at, and even though I hate trading with them because I don't trust the Rays. Like if they made the deal, I'd be like, well, there's something wrong with them. This is going to hurt us. But the Rays rotation and even their bullpen is in just disarray right now. They're falling out of first place. They have nothing but prospects. You, you think you could wrestle a first baseman away from them for the future? One of the things that we really don't have 
Kyle Manzardo? You think you can get that guy? You think you'll get a guy who's sitting in AAA right now, just got elevated this year, and at the levels beforehand was hitting in the 320s, left-handed hitter, playing playing first base for the future, and and here's a team that's looking for pitching. Well, you got you got you got a little bit that you can give them, not a lot. So I don't know if you got enough for it. But I mean, that's just that's just to get the brain moving. Like there's there's pieces to go out and try to acquire, and I wouldn't be so married to my prospects at this point. Right, because not every one of them is going to work out. You built this base not only to elevate some of these guys at a major league level, but you also did it so that you would have capital for moves. So I think everybody's yeah, I mean, on the it's table. It's all about team building, like you said. Yeah, I mean, I, like that's the thing. It, you you can't sit back. You can't sit back and say, "Well, we're not contending. We're not contending. We're going to move a couple of guys with expiring contracts, and we'll look at it in the off season." I don't know. Blood's in the water right now. It was a terrible trade season last off season. And the year before was even worse because of the lockout. If people are getting active and trading's coming back, which is something we haven't seen as many, we haven't seen as many trades in Major League Baseball. Trading is down over the last couple of years. If you now have teams floating the idea of making moves that are not only good for now, but for the future, and they want to make their moves here in July of 2023, the Pirates should be open for business. Yeah, and they said they're listening. I mean, it's all being leaked by John Heyman for Bednar and for Mitch Keller. And I I don't think that you can make, if you're going to trade a Bednar, if you're going to trade a Keller, that you are going to trade for these lottery tickets like you have in but the th- past. Those are both two different players in my mind. I wouldn't trade Mitch Keller. That's that's crazy. You didn't build to this point to take the only pitcher that is that that's young on your staff that has a long-term future and move him at this point. Okay, you, I'll move a closer anytime. Pitching can be found anywhere. It's the last thing that you add to your team. You get a good deal for him, fine. Oh my goodness! Like I, the, the, in my mind, grouping them together—that's the thing that just blows my mind. Those are two very different like pieces with two very different values, not only in the short term but in the long term. Yeah, but with Mitch Keller, I mean, the big thing is—is is, is can you sign him beyond twenty twenty-five? If the answer is yes, then obviously you're not trading him. So I'm hopefully they're having those conversations while they're building towards the trade deadline. But if you if the answer is Mitch is like if you can't get it worked out, which I think they probably can. But if the answer is obviously no, then that's where I could see moving him. But that would probably be more likely to happen at the end of next year. If you're not at the place you need to be, and at that point, you have more questions than answers anyway. Well, you're pushing the timeline back if you trade him. You're telling the fan yeah. base we're not even competing in 24. Okay, you still have two more years. You got 24 and 25 with them in arbitration. Okay, I'll take two years of him right now. And if you aren't where you're supposed to be in 2025, and and you're like we gotta we gotta move him because we don't have a chance at the postseason. Okay, one, everything's falling apart and things are bad. And and two, then you can make that move then as a deadline deal. I would rather them go that route. But I mean, I would imagine that you're competitive in 24 and 25. You better be a team that's challenging for the pennant after all these years of building. You better be out there, you know, making a few signings and, and, and crafting your team now. The urgency needs to be there. You want Mitch Keller on that mound being something that everybody's like, well, you know, we're going to have to see if we can sign him in the offseason, but let's not worry about that. I'm more concerned about our postseason run, right? 
You can't always be looking to the fact that a guy is going to leave. I expect them to be really good in 25. I expect them to be an above 500 team in 24 and challenge for a division. I think if your expectation is any lower than that, then there's an issue. And I've been the first person to sit there and say, this team is building, relaxed, they're not going anywhere. Well, it's time to now change the setting from rebuild and build to let's go win. And that's why it's so important to see what, what Shelton can do with this team over the next couple of months, what moves are going to be made by the front office before the deadline, and what could possibly be done in the offseason to get yourself ready to hit the ground running in the spring of 24. But, I mean, Chris, the thing is is that, I mean, you still have to trade those guys that are, you know, in that that one-year, you know, window. The guys that, you know, you got Santana, you got Choi, so you have to at least trade one of them. That was the goal. There was probably the idea to trade either, you know, a Rich Hill or a Vince Velasquez, uh, at least one of them. I know that there's still innings that, you know, need to be taken care of going into that point in time towards the end of the year. But for me, I mean, you have to trade those guys. But I do agree, Chris. I do agree that you have to, you know, kind of think outside the box a little bit and start making trades to build for the future. We talked about Baltimore last year, trading their closer and, you know, getting some pieces back and getting a piece of the bullpen plus some potential arms because that was the one thing that was missing in their rebuild. Um, But also, you know, trading some of your prospects to get somebody at at first base, to, to get somebody... You know, possibly, like you said, who's in AAA at the rotation um, and, and kind of go from there. Now I see the changes in this town. They change, they say.